I understand fully that categorizing people is a very dangerous uh, proposition. However, uh, that's what we're going to do, okay? So I'd like to categorize all of us, if you don't mind, into uh, three categories. Uh, The first category is this, um, people that do not believe in Jesus and are not saved. Um, First of all, I want to explain the word saved because uh, it's a word that uh, even Nick just shared, and so it's kind of become used in the church, and it's one of those church words that maybe... um, Maybe some of you who who aren't around the body of Christ very much, you don't know what that means. Uh, So when the scripture says that we're saved, uh, what it means is we're we're saved from death, we're saved from our flesh, uh, we're saved from uh, an eternity separated uh, from God, and rather we're saved to new life through Christ with God forever. Okay, So we're saved from a whole litany of things, and in celebration, uh, that's why the word saved really is, is applicable, because we're saved literally from the pit of hell, from from death. So some of you here tonight, uh, you do not believe in Jesus, and then therefore you are not saved. Uh, the second category of people are people who think they believe and think they are saved, but they are not. Um, this is the most dangerous, the most tumultuous group of people because they live in a, a false, consistent assurance. Uh, They've either convinced themselves or others have convinced them that their faith is real, their faith is genuine, their response to Christ is real and genuine, and so they live with this very uh, mystified view of uh, their security as a a believer, even though in this category, uh, not a believer at all. I I think actually uh, a great vast percentage of Christendom uh, fits in this middle category, and certainly Certainly some here uh, tonight. And finally, our third category of folks, as you're encouraged, are people who believe in Jesus and are saved. They submit to the Lord Jesus, not just as a prophet, uh, a nice teacher, or a guy with wavy hair and pictures, but uh, as someone who died on a bloody cross, and because of his blood, and then three days later, his resurrection, we get to share in life with him. Okay. Now, the reason why these three categories tonight are quintessential, and we're going to spend our evening evaluating which one you're in, is because of a scripture uh, like this. Next slide. Uh, This is what Matthew chapter 7 says. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You're like, Mark, this is a heavy start. Indeed it is. Uh, This is real. There's going to be a day when many stand before the Lord and as Jesus says himself, we're going to be like, "Uh, but Christ, like, right, remember me, right, right? Like, remember all the things that I did. Uh, remember, I, I, I thought I was with you. I, I, you know, I, I said this particular prayer, this particular point in my life where I experienced this, Jesus, remember all of those things. And what, what Jesus says is, if you fit into that middle category of folks, um, you will be hearing the same answer as those who uh, very vehemently say, uh, we do not believe and are not saved. This is a very a tricky text, and you're like, man, Mark, way to open with some encouragement. Um, Actually, tonight, this is intended for encouragement because the period of grace is still open. Uh, In fact, tonight, as we wrestle with a very heavy topic of assurance um, and and ask things like this, next slide, my whole question tonight is, is my faith real? 
Is it real? Is it fake? Is it a facade? Is it something that I've learned? Am I robotic? How do I know that my faith is real? How do I know that all the things that I say, all the things that I sing are coming out of a genuine heart? Uh, In other words, I believe tonight that you and I can be assured. Okay? Now, my hope, next slide, my hope is this. I long and and we long for, for everyone tonight to examine yourselves, and I've always struggled with this because I've heard teachings that say, listen, don't examine your faith, don't question your faith, it's not good. Problem is, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the what? In the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now, where a lot of you find yourselves is you're in this constant evaluation process. So you're always evaluating. You take this passage, it becomes your bumper sticker. You're always looking in the mirror. Oh, that's right, examine myself, test myself. Am I saved? Am I not? Well, this is to be a beginning of what eventually then you turn to Jesus. In other words, so I start examining and evaluating and and, and testing my faith and seeing a bunch of things we're going to learn tonight. Am, Am I and can I be assured of my salvation? And then once I move past that, yes, I can. Here are the promises I can stand on. Now I look to the author and perfecter of my faith, which is Jesus. So we don't spend our life here. This is just the beginning Now, my desire and every elder and leader's desire tonight is this. Next slide. Uh, Our desire, uh, is there, uh, do I have another uh, diagram, like the the yellow, the orange? Yeah, there we go. My desire tonight, okay, is that every single person here moves from one of the first two categories to the third. It's my desire. It's the elder's desire. Like, I long for every man to be saved. Okay. And there's only two categories. And this will sound harsh. Work with me. You're either flipping God off or you're not. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't taught that much growing up. And what I saw pretty consistently was a gray area. You know, that somehow I can have one foot in the world and one foot out. I can somehow kind of live for God and then somehow kind of not. But there are only two categories of people. Those who are saying, God, I don't care. God, you can be whoever you are, but I'm going to forever spend my life turning my back on you. Flipping literally God off. And the rest of you fit through the blood of Jesus in a different category, submissive to the Lord Jesus. Now, right away, I want to dispel this because some of you are like, but Mark, don't we still still fail and struggle? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And here's the beauty of our struggle. You're like, well, aren't we still, you know, essentially looking at God and saying, no, my will be done? No, once I'm his kid, then Jesus is representing me to the throne of God. So in my failure, I'm not seen anymore in light of my sin. I'm seen in the light of a perfect, sinless Savior who died and rose again. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So I'm not seen any longer through my disobedience. I'm seen now through the obedience of Jesus. That's why there's only two categories. Okay. I long for the first two tonight, even tonight, to go to the third, but I'm okay with this. Next slide. I'm okay with you getting out of the gray tonight. I long for every man to be saved, but I'm, I'm okay tonight if at least we all get out of the gray. If at least tonight you're able to leave here saying, no, actually I don't believe, and, and that's where I am, and own that. Like, just confirm this is where I'm at, or for the, uh, some of the rest of us. Standing fully assured in Jesus. So this is our topic. It's really lighthearted. And um, 
I'm anxious to journey uh, uh, through it with you. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That's right. Beginning a brand new chapter, chapter 2. Man, uh, Jared, what a, I just love that dude. That dude is the smartest dude on the planet and just couples it with an unbelievable passion for the Lord. Did a great job last week in teaching us about suffering and and really setting us up in uh, so many words uh, tonight for this powerful text as Paul continues to write from a jail cell here uh, to the church in Colossae. So let's start in chapter 2. Verse 1 and verse 1 is just amazing. Okay, here we go. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. You remember Laodicea was like the cooler, better, hipper, like the Abercrombie uh, town that was next to uh, Colossae. Colossae will fall uh, due to earthquake. Laodicea will stay built up. Okay, so Paul has a heart for both these places. And then he says, and for all who have not seen me, face-to-face. I've already told you guys multiple times that he writes this letter from a jail cell, most likely to people who have never, ever seen them outside of maybe a few. So he mentions Laodicea. He mentions Colossae. In all likelihood, he has neither seen uh, 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 many of those folks. The word that I want to focus on first is this word struggle. Uh, The word is agon in the Greek. Really interesting word. Just by looking at it, what, what is the word that comes to mind just by looking at it? Agony. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with the definition of agony. Typically, like, it's not associated with, you know, tremendous amounts of uh, happiness and joy. Like, it's, it's this, this agonizing, turmoil, longing. So now replace the word agony here in the sentence. For I want you to know how great of an agony I have for you. And this agony is coming from and two people that he's never seen. So, man, this has really got me thinking about a lot of things. Um, uh, let's just go to the next slide. I think this will help us. So, in discipling relationships, discipleship should be marked by this as the shepherd and as the leader and as the discipler should be marked by this agonizing desire to see the disciple mature in Christ. Like, I picture Paul, like, pacing around in his jail cell, Right? Like bouncing off the walls. Like that's how I picture him. Pleading to the throne of God in constant prayer for the growth and the maturation of these churches of which he's never seen. Most of us struggle praying for the people that are right here in our face, let alone the people who are believers and part of the body of Christ in China who will maybe never ever see. So Paul, like in his prison cell, we just get this image of Him in just a tumultuous, agonizing heart, longing for their maturation. And so I'm asking those of you in discipling relationships, is this the kind of fruit that you're seeing being born out of your your walk, out of your relationship? You stay up at night sometimes just praying and pleading for that person that you're pouring into. You're not just saying that you're discipling them and following through some uh, regiment. When they grow, you celebrate. When they mourn, you mourn. Next slide. Not just discipling relationships. Come on now, somebody. How many of you guys are parents in here? Do I need to explain like that, okay? So listen, I hear a lot of parents that say they want their kids to be saved, and I see a lot of parents who aren't praying for it. Okay? And I fail and struggle in this in, as far as consistency goes myself. But I'll tell you this, often, often, even after my kids are well asleep, I'll go in, even did last night, I'll go in, Avery, I mean, just sitting, the, the, 
men aren't like, man, my daughter's so beautiful as she just lays asleep, you know, like mouth wide open, you know, drool coming down, but just beautiful. And I just grab her hand and I'm praying for her heart in a very like agonizing way, knowing that her only hope is Jesus. I walk into the boys' room and I see these dudes, you know, I'm just, I'm longing that they would be men who are passionate for Jesus more than anything else. I'm, I'm asking parents, right now in, in your relationship with your children, are you in this very like agonizing, longing desire, pleading for the hearts of your kids? Next slide, I would say this as well as we continue to move on. Uh, husbands, we got a lot of things to, uh, uh, we would never say because we don't talk much, many of you, right? Uh, husbands, like, we like the conversation that goes like this. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's for dinner? Like that's kind of like the conversation that we enjoy mostly. But in your heart, you're longing for maybe something deeper. You're longing for a deeper intimacy with your wife. I'm just asking you, do you find yourself in an agonizing way pleading for God to do a work in her heart? Uh, We talk about male leadership in the home here and how the men in their home are called to not just lead by example and not just bend the knee in humility, but consistently point the household to Jesus. So it's one thing to say that. It's one, it's a, a one thing to kind of believe that that maybe is your role, and it's a whole other thing in an agonizing way to wake up in the morning, men, and say, oh, dear God, how can I point my home today to you? And your wife wakes up, and she sees you pacing around, right? And she's wondering, what in the world is the problem? You know, you, you have some, kind, some form of illness or something, honey, right? Like, what's going on? And then you get to share with her, no, 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 I've been up all night praying for God to move our family towards who he is. I've been praying that our home would be used for mission. I've been praying that we wouldn't find ourselves uh, in, in some uh, form of complacency in our walk. You're like, Mark, that seems hardcore. I'm just asking you, what else do we have to do? What else are we here for, our own glory or the glory of Christ? Are we here to build up homes and kingdoms so that people can walk in and say, oh, the drapery is so nice in here? Is that really our goal? Don't you men long to have that passion where in this tremendous, tumultuous heart, you just wake up and begin to plead over the walls and over the confines of your home or your apartment, wherever it is that you live. Wives, sometimes you get with some other ladies and the topic of husbandry, if that's a word, comes up. And all of a sudden, you know, you start kind of talking. Oh, yeah, you know, my, my husband, he, he does this. And, yeah, you know what? Actually, I'm kind of bothered that he did. And pretty soon your husband becomes the form of gossip and the conversational piece. Demeaning him, disrespecting him publicly. Instead, in an agonizing way, you have this amazing opportunity, wives, to plead to the throne of God through the person of Jesus for God to do a work in his heart. I'm just saying, wives, we need your prayer. Okay, we are messed up dudes, saved by the blood of the Lamb, and we desperately need encouragement and growth, and we're called to self-sacrifice all the time. We need your prayer, so ladies, can you pray for us more, please? Okay. This, is that, this is that kind of agony that Paul has for people that he's never seen. And we struggle for praying for the, the husband or the wife that's laying next to us. Sometimes back to back because we're angry, but other times not. Right? Next slide. And finally, I would just say this, uh, in general, for the body of Christ, right? It's really easy uh, to post something on Facebook about the 21 uh, martyrs. Very easy to do that. Very easy to write an Instagram, very whatever. 
and then in your heart miss the opportunity to pray for their families, to pray for their children, to in this very like passionate way ask God to use all of that situation for his glory. And you're like, well, he's got it taken care of. Oh, I know he does. If the, if the statement and the excuse he's got it taken care of drives you away from prayer, then my friends, you are mistaken about the access that you have to that God who's in control. You've been given access to share this intimate relationship with the one who, yes, holds the world in his hands. Okay. So I, I just love this picture of Paul pleading, um, agonizing over these people that Scripture says he's literally never, ever seen. Next slide. Your struggle for those around you to grow in Christ is directly related to your prayers for their maturity. In other words, prayer heightens awareness always. Let me explain what I mean. When I find my heart praying for my wife consistently, I'm really interested in her growth. Why? Because I'm vested. I'm not just talking to her about her change. I'm not just you know, giving her a list of things she can work on as a, as a woman. I'm praying that God would do a work. And so I'm really vested. And so I start watching to see what God's doing. I, I start trying to find the ways he's, uh, he's really loving her and comforting her and nurturing her. And then as that prayer heightens awareness and I become more aware, it deepens my prayer life. I guess what I'm saying is there's tremendous hope tonight. If you find yourself very distant, from praying for those relationships and more in an agonizing way, there's hope because prayer heightens awareness. And that awareness will deepen the further prayers in those relationships. It's beautiful. And so you find yourselves going to bed at night praying for your children in ways that you never have. And dads, why not start tonight? Moms, why not start tonight? Beautiful. This is the heart of Paul, okay? Now, he has a very directed point to this struggle. And the point we see here. Next slide. That their hearts may be encouraged. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Being knit together in love. Any knitters here? Knitters? Knit ties? Okay, you knit. There we go. What's the proper word of knit? People that knit do knitting. How, what do you call those people? <laughs> One who knits. Okay. <laughs> Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, this, this verse is a gold mine. okay? Again, when you're reading the word by yourself, isn't it so easy to read this verse and just be like, oh, that, oh that's great, right? Oh, this is, this, is, this is really, really nice. Let's see what verse 3 says. No, no, no. Dude, we're going to camp in verse 2 for like ever. Here we go, okay? Let's start here, okay? He's toiling He's struggling, he's wrestling, firstly, that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, why is this key? Uh, February has been a very interesting month um, for me. I've brought the staff and elders into this. Um, God's given me a great privilege uh, to share a a whole bunch this month. uh, I've led a few marriage retreats. I got to speak last week at Christian High School at at their event. I've had some opportunities to uh, preach at some other uh, events. And, man, it's it's, it's been encouraging uh, we're getting ready uh, to, to head to Ecuador, and last night we had the crew over to our house uh, pleading to the throne. It was po- super powerful till like 11.30, a bunch of stuff. But last week, um, I noticed that my, my joy level was starting to 
get diminished. I started to notice, maybe the best way of saying it, that my heart was, getting to get, was beginning to get crusty. That this encouragement that comes from being a son, from being an heir to the, like all of the things that come with Jesus, uh, like it had become for me a little bit this like, man, can I keep doing it? Is the pace sustainable? God, like why so much? Like encouraging hearts is really, really quintessential and what I soon uh, prayed, and I was reminded of this by a brother today who like five or six years ago said, I remember five or six years ago you talking about praying that God would change your heart. And so someone had come up to me and asked me a question, and I, like, I went back at them in a way that was just, it was rude. And I like stepped back, and I was like, what, like, what, what just happened? Like, I don't do that. I, why am I so crusty? And I instantly realized that my, my heart was discouraged that my body was tired and I was trying to rely on my own devices and my own energy um, to get through. And so I started to pray that God would change my heart and oh, the encouragement that came. Oh, the encouragement that came. Listen, I got to watch last week at Christian High School, Dana Edmonds, who has stage four esophageal cancer, after I just preached Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and this brilliant story that unfortunately VeggieTales has ruined, okay? right? It's like, how do we learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a pickle, right? But listen, in that story, please hear this. In that story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are getting ready to get thrown in the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar gives them one more chance to bend the knee. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you guys one more chance to fail, and they look at him, and, and they say, our God is able to deliver us, and then they say, one of the most brilliant statements in the entire Old Testament, they say, but even if he doesn't, Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. In other words, whether God saves us here, delivers us from the furnace or not, he's still God, and we still submit to his name. And so then I got to watch Dana Edmonds with stage four cancer come up and say, my God's able. My God's able. One way or another, I'm healed, whether it's here on earth or in his arms, right? And so I just got to watch this, and like my heart was just overwhelmed with a sense of joy, having encouraging hearts. I'm telling you, like we think it's just this feeling thing. No, it is so tied to right view of God. Okay. So for those of you that are here and are, and are crusty, like you find yourself a little bit on edge, a little bit tired, a little bit trying to work through on your own devices, I'm telling you tonight, ask that God would change your heart. And most assuredly, I believe that he will. Next slide. Being knit together in love. Now, I, I have this really cool image. Um, uh, next slide. So some of you guys, uh, do you guys know what this is? The cultural phenomenon that is the what? The rainbow loom. Okay. Now, as a father, okay, I remember opening the rainbow loom for the first time, right? And Avery had just gotten it at a birthday party or something. She's like, hey, Daddy, can we, can we make something with the rainbow loom? And I have to be honest with you, I opened this for the first time. And I'm like looking at this thing and I have no clue where to start, right? There's like magic wands in there and like all kinds of color, you know, combinations and this direction booklet that seems really extensive. And my daughter's like sitting there looking at me, right? She's like, okay, like that, when are we, like, when are we going to make this thing happen? And I'm like praying over it that it would just happen, you know, like, God, I don't know. You know, laying hands on the, whatever, I, I, I don't know. Well, listen, here's what I realized. Here's what I realized. Knitting... <laughs> Even with the rainbow loom, is a lot of work, isn't it? So you're, you're a knitter, Jesse, okay? So a lot of work, right? Okay. 
Now, I also know this because I saw my, I saw my grandma rock some pretty killer blankets, okay? I also know this. Knitting is a lot of work, and simultaneously, knitting can become very mindless because it's very tedious. It's very, like, patterned and rhythmic, right? So listen, if Paul is in his heart praying that these people would be knit together in love, here's the recognition. The work, in other words, the work of God in loving us first has happened. And it was, as it were, well, we, we could say it this way, a lot of work. His son has to humble himself. His son has to live sinless, uh, sinlessly. His, long, his son has to take the wrath of God for our sin on his shoulders. But the one thing that I love about what God has done in knitting us together in love is it has never gotten mindless for him. It has never just like gotten patterned and distant. This unbelievable piece of God's character that somehow he allows the body of Christ to be knit together, woven together in love at the hand of a great God who is doing it and somehow intentionally allowing us to share in that. It's beautiful. And so when, when Paul prays that, I, I don't see it as just some like nice imagery or, or nice thought. I really see a man who's saying, I desire for God's people to share in the work that God's already accomplished. So they don't have to spend one more day backbiting or gossiping about one another or judging those that they are assuming things about. They've been in the power of Christ knit together, and that is an incredible thing. And I don't want to, like, lessen it to some image of a rainbow loom and, like, you know, you're red. and I'm, Like, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, this concept of knitting is very together, isn't it? So he toils over that, and then next, he toils over this. To reach all of the riches of full, what's the word? Assurance, okay, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. All right, we're going to go for it here. We're going to build a biblical doctrine of, uh, of assurance. We're going to wrestle with a lot of hard things. Okay. He's toiling that their faith will be assured. Remember why. Some heretical communists are getting ready to come in and take the teaching of Jesus and put it on its head and deform it and, and try to come up with a different kind of gospel. And so he longs for these people to be assured. Here's what my good buddy uh, Spurgeon says. Uh, he's a friend of mine that is currently in glory, okay? Uh, you're like, I'm pretty sure he died a while ago. Yeah, about 100 years or so. Um, Here's what Spurgeon says. It is true that we must believe in Christ in order to become saved. But how can we be sure we have savingly believed in him? Certainly, we cannot rely upon our feelings since our feelings can be misleading. Anybody? Okay. Some might suggest we can be sure by acknowledging the facts of the gospel or saying the sinner's prayer. This comes from the early 1900s. We thought the 80s and the 90s created the sinner's prayer. No. Okay. Okay. However, the Bible teaches that it is not possible to be saved without being what? Regenerated, okay? Christ said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Therefore, we cannot know we have savingly believed in Christ until we know we are born again. And this is something that Nicodemus struggled with. Jesus is having this conversation with good old Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus is trying to figure out the physics of it. Okay. He's like, so you're saying I need to be born again, but como se dice, like I don't. Right. And the power of being born again is what the regenerate work of the Spirit does in us. In, in other words, making us, the Scripture says, a new creation. Okay. So with this as our baseline, let's keep going for it. These are things in Donald's Whitney, uh, Donald Whitney's book where he addresses what does it really mean to be a Christian. These are things that have created in our culture a false, a false sense of assurance. A public commitment or outward response to the gospel. Okay? Now listen, I love me some BG. Okay? Billy Graham, right? Right? There's like an emoticon for Billy Graham, right? I mean, he's, he's that big time. Okay? I love Billy Graham. Love him, love him, love him. Okay? What an amazing heart, amazing passion. But just because all of those people walked up to the front, and just because those people raised a hand, and just because it seemed like something happened there doesn't mean that it did. Okay. Uh, the second thing that creates a false a sense of assurance is baptism. I love what Nick said, like in uh, wholeheartedly communicated our belief here. There's no, there's no saving water in the trough. Okay? Like we got it out of our water heater back there. Okay? It came from the city of St. Charles. We didn't ship it in from Jerusalem or something, right? Like this is straight St. Charles tap water. All right? It's a symbol. But there are some folks who believe that when you're baptized, you're saved. The problem is the thief on the cross isn't. So what does that do to that doctrine? Jesus says today, you'll see me in paradise. And he doesn't like lift him off the cross and baptize him. He says, I'm, he says today, you'll see me in paradise. Okay? But for many of you, baptism has created a false sense of security, false sense of assurance. Involvement with the church, right? Like attendance. The thought by taking up a really warm place there in that black seat that somehow God's looking. Oh, yep, gotcha, Right? No problem. Man, 80% attendance this year. Not bad, right? Surely that leads to salvation. A false sense of security and assurance. A strong Christian family heritage. A great upbringing. Great parents. Grandparents who absolutely love the Lord. An abundance of good deeds. You're like, Mark, I don't believe that. Yeah? Well, let me ask you this. Um, that one day, right, where it just seemed like it was service.com for you. I mean, you served the homeless, you loved uh, the neighbors, you had a chance to encourage the widow, uh, you went and did the thing, uh, like all in one day, it was like, you know, 18 hours of massive service. Was there anything in that night, in the inkling of your heart, where you felt like God was looking down saying, hmm, now, now you've arrived, my son or daughter? Well, the good thing for us is that Jesus has long arrived, okay? And so it's on his works and on his deeds, but good deeds create certainly a false sense of security an extraordinary experience, right? And it's not to say that these things aren't pieces of our faith, but these often create a false sense. Okay, so you went to some camp or some, you know, something, and you, man, you really felt it kind of thing, can create a false sense of assurance, a dramatic personal or even lifestyle change. So you're like communicating truths of the gospel, and then you watch yourself uh, get weaned off alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever the case may be, and just that, that lifestyle change can create this sense in you. A material blessing and financial security, right? Like all of a sudden you get a 90% raise, right? And you're like, God must love me, right? I mean, this is the premise of the prosperity gospel that, you know, if you, if you give, then like God hooks you up, okay? Or if you remain faithful, God hooks you up. It's that kind of mentality, false sense of security. 
Obviously, a false understanding of God and uh, finally a false sense of sin and of hell. I, I teach my kids about hell all the time, and not because I want to scare them into heaven. I've told you guys before, like the consistent running question in my house is, Daddy, what happens if you don't go to heaven? And, and I say, you go to hell. And last night we were talking about this in light of a story we were learning together, and Dawson says, what happens in hell? And I said, you burn for a long time. And Maddox says, you, oh, you like you just perpetual burning? And he's like, man, I don't want that. You know, I'm, I, I know, man. You know, I, I'm with you, brother. Right. All these things create a false sense or can create a false sense of assurance. But what can create a real sense of assurance? Well, here's what the scripture says. Next slide. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if we're going to build a biblical doctrine of assurance, then we need to start with the idea that faith and assurance go hand in hand. Okay? My faith is the assurance, the belief, the thought of the things that I cannot see. I've said it before even here recently. If God all of a sudden like dropped in here in, in the manifestation of Jesus incarnate again and like this massive throne and there were angels in here, okay, my guess is there wouldn't be a single one of us that would walk out and say he doesn't exist, right? Like there would be this overwhelming sense in the room, oh my goodness, right? Like he is real and we'd all be bowing in worship and, and, and God wouldn't need our band, right? Like the, I mean, it would just be this crazy, this crazy adventure, but we don't have that per se. So our faith is the assurance that God is here and present and moving and that the Spirit lives in us, making us a new creation. Next slide. In light of that then, here's also what Hebrews 10 says. Because of this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, we have assurance because we have a a deepening faith in the Lord Jesus and what he's done. And because of that assurance, heart's been sprinkled clean. We now, with assurance, can approach the throne of God in confidence. And now because of that, the scripture says this, next slide. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, That God raised him from the dead. What does the scripture say? You will be saved. Here's the amazing thing about God's word. Is like there it is. Okay. Like I, I can't add exemption clauses. Or I can't make it say something else. Or I can't contrive my own theories. Now the thing that we call systematic theology. Is that the Bible builds a systematic understanding of things like this. The doctrine of assurance. So we know that it's all of these things, confession with our mouth, belief in our heart, and James 2 adds that faith without works is what? It's dead. So I'm not saved because of my works. I'm saved because of the works of Jesus, but my faith will evidence itself in works. Okay. So we start like building this systematic doctrine, then verse 10 says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified or seen in the eyes of God as innocent. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, please see this. What's that word? What's the word? Everyone. You guys know what that means in the Greek and English and Hebrew and Aramaic? Everybody. Right? Everyone. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you guys believe that? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everybody. Jew or Greek, white or African-American, 
Hispanic or Asian. It doesn't matter. Every single person, male or female. And so because of that, this beautiful text next slide, check this out in John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth, and in light of those things, God regenerates my heart. In other words, makes me a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, and with being a new creation then comes what? Being a child of God. Can, can anyone get a little bit excited about that piece, right? Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, um, did you ever get in late from curfew? Any, any of you guys? Ever? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So listen to this. On me and my wife's first date, check this out. First date. Okay. She lives in Ramsey, Podunk, Illinois. Okay. It's like, Heidi, are you here? What's the population of Ramsey? A thousand people, okay? And half of those are, are cows and dogs, okay? And cars that are sitting in the front yard, right? So, like, they count those as people, too. So, I mean, Ramsey. So, she's really nervous. I'm really nervous. We're 16. You know, we're going on our first date. And so, she gives me directions. Because uh, for kids in the room, pre-cell phone. So, once you get in the car, you know, there's, there's your pay phone, okay? That's what you got. So we get, in, we get in my buddy Ryan Lewis's man van, okay? He borrowed his parents' van. We were going to, you know, kind of a triple date thing. Well, there's one key intersection in Ramsey, one key intersection. And you can either turn right or left. It's pretty much the only intersection, right? And for whatever reason, in my wife's nervousness to meet the stallion that I am, she tells me, she tells me to turn left instead of right, okay? So we go left and end up in California pretty much, Okay. <laughs> Finally realize we need to circle back. Long story short, we see Independence Day. Will Smith, praise God, right? What an amazing movie. We see the movie. We're home super late because we had to go to a different, and I get home at 2 a.m. Okay. Now, my curfew is like 9, okay? <laughs> All right? And I appreciate that about my parents, you know? They're like 16, they're like, yeah, you need to be home before the sun comes down, right? So do you remember this? Listen to this. You remember this? You like open the door. Very slowly. And you're like, surely they're still sleeping, right? And then you like, you pull the door like really, you know, and then there's that one stinking little squeak, right? It's like, you know what? You like even had just oiled it the day before just in case, right? And so then you're like tiptoeing. And you remember the wood or the carpet squares that, that, you know, make the creaks. So you're like, it's like, you know, you're like walking around. And then you make it, you just get past the living room, and there sits both of your parents. Pre-cell phone, lamp, you know. Now, what happens when you're on time? I mean, you, you, walk, in, you walk in that... When you're on time, listen, when you're on time, you walk in, like the door slams, you're bouncing around, you open the fridge, you get what you need, right? It's like, it's a completely different kind of mentality. That is why when you're assured in the person of Christ, an heir to the throne, an heir to the inheritance that we have, as it were, through Jesus, 
It's like we're coming home every single day to a daddy who's unbelievable and we don't have to worry about curfew if that makes sense. Like we're opening the door, it's our house, like he's given it to us, he's gifted it to us and I'm not walking around tiptoeing or walking on eggshells because he sees me through the lens of his son. So like this is the power of that. Listen, um, some of you guys have seen Band of Brothers. One more quick analogy, okay? There's a scene in Band of Brothers, unbelievable uh, uh, portrayal of war, World War II. And there's a scene where this guy cannot get out of the foxhole, and he's so nervous, and he doesn't want to die, and he's sitting there unassured, and it causes the death of a couple of his friends because they need his bullets too. Like, that's what living unassured looks like. But when you're assured, I mean, everything changes, when you're a son of God, when you're able to celebrate who you are in Christ, it's like everything changes. That's why this next slide is so incredibly powerful. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by any merit of ours. Not because God thought I would be home on time. Or not because God saw this great list of things that I had done or would do. But because of grace, unmerited, undeserved extension of love from God. Insanely beautiful. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of who? Of God. Not your church, not your parents, not Billy Graham. The gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in a quick case of biblical assurance, we're saved by grace through faith to be heirs to the inheritance that God has for us through the person of Christ, through a bloody cross and and an empty resurrected tomb. That's what we have in him. Now what that starts to do and some things that will help you engaging that are uh, some things listed on this. This is also from Donald Whitney's book, How Can I Be Sure That I'm a Christian? So you start to process some of these things and you're starting to wonder like which category am I in? Some of these can maybe help you. Do you share the intimacies of Christian life with other believers? In other words, like when, when, you're, when you're flipping or walking away from God, there's no interest in the things of the Lord. But when you're submissive to who God is, like you can't wait to talk about what God is doing with other people who, who are being worked on by the Lord. It's like you naturally talk about what you love. So you can gauge today your conversations by that premise. You naturally talk about what you love. Today, gauge your conversations. These kinds of people have a deep awareness of your sin, okay? It doesn't take long for you to realize how sinful you are or how messed up you are or how depraved you are. Like, you get it. You understand. And you're very, very quick to see that sin, be convicted of it by the Holy Spirit, and turn in repentance back towards the Lord. Uh, Do you live in a conscience of obedience to the word of God? And to live in obedience to God's word, which is this amazing, um, unbelievable truth, okay, then you have to be in it. Again, now some people have taken that. Okay, I read my Bible and therefore I'm saved. Well, no, that's, that's just without heart change, mere knowledge. And that was pharisaical as well. And, and uh, Jesus continually spoke against those folks. Uh, do you despise the world in its ways, right? Um, do certain things and shows and songs just like, ah. It just creates this like, like a, and you walk into certain places and you, you can just feel the darkness, Again, this isn't every litmus test, but certainly may be helpful for you. Next slide. Okay. Do you love other Christians sacrificially and want to be with them? Right. 
Are you constantly in the, in the judgment of your heart saying, yeah, we're supposed to be knit together in love, but I'm just going to be knit together with those that, uh, that I love or that I chose or that are of this particular color in the rainbow loom, like whatever it may be. No, 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 like within the body of Christ, and, and Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love people, body of Christ included. Uh, do you discern the presence of the Holy Spirit within you? This is tough, right? Because we've been told a lot of things about the Holy Spirit, and my kids ask me all the time, so where does the Holy Spirit live, right? They're like, is it like in the, they're like, show us, Daddy, you know? Is it in like in the rib cage, like behind the sternum, you know? Like where, where is it? So how do you discern that the Holy Spirit is within you? One of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, John, or the Gospel of John tells us, is to convict the world of sin and ultimately to point us continually to Jesus. So like when we talk about being convicted of sin, when we talk about that sense of darkness, when we talk about being guided or even empowered, or when you see the fruits of godliness beginning to be worked out in you, it's God equipping you to follow him. So he doesn't say, hey, come. Have faith, believe in me, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and good luck to you. He gives us the Spirit and starts to produce fruit from himself through us. Let's say it this way. He does a work in us to do a work through us. Okay? Uh, Do you enjoy listening to the doctrines of the apostles that Jesus taught? And you're like, I don't know what doctrine even means, so does that mean I'm not a Christian? Well, um, (laughs) a doctrine is a belief system. So even tonight, like talking about assurance, that's a doctrine. That's a belief system. Okay? That's a teaching so are you enjoying this? Like, man, like this is, this is healthy to learn and, and to process and to examine in my own heart. Like, if you're enjoying this, then I would say that that's a, a great sign that God is, has done and is doing a regenerate work in your heart, okay? Do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? Or do you believe what the culture says or what the Mormons say or what this religion communicates? Do you believe what the Bible says, okay? And finally, and I love this, do you long for the return of Jesus Christ and to be made like him, right? Right? And uh, so many of you guys have um, been talking to a few friends of mine about heaven quite a bit. And I, I share this quite a bit, but a lot of you guys think that heaven is, is like this place where it's just like, you know, quick trip soda, you know, just up and down, right, the aisles. And, and I say all the time, and this is, like, I just, I just long to be in the presence of God forever. Honestly, quite honestly, and this is the true genuineness of my heart. I don't care what else is in heaven. As long as he's there, I'm good. And I mean that. And, and I want to mean that every day. Okay. So, you start wrestling with these, with these things. Have I confessed with my mouth? Do I believe in my heart? Am I seeing works that are produced because of the spirit working out fruit in me? Do I notice this disdain in me against the world? Not hatred of the world, but this hatred of the things of the world. If you're sensitive to these things, they're great indicators that God has done a regenerate work in your heart, okay? So I want to just table that for one second, process those things, and let's keep, let's keep moving. Next slide, okay? We desire that each one of you to show some earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is my, our desire here. The full assurance to the end. Okay? No distraction, standing on God's promises, longing for his return. This is our desire and prayer of tonight. Next slide. 
So now finally, after we move from verse 2, we see the next piece. We'll move through these next verses really quick. The scripture says, in whom are hidden, look at this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're hidden in Christ. Okay? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the person of Jesus. The, the, this beautiful understanding of who he is. As the catalog starts reeling and I start thinking about treasure, uh, there's one a scripture from Proverbs 2 that comes to mind. I want to show you this real quick. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. My question is, where are you getting wisdom from? So when we planted this church, I've shared this story. Many of you guys have heard it. Uh, We really felt like God was calling us to a Wednesday night corporate community, Sunday small group, what we call here lot families. And I just got to share this story at a conference we were hosting this past weekend. And guys were asking me about it. So like, what's the model? What's this weird thing? Are you guys cultish? Do you, you know, kill animals or something? Like, what what happens here? What, What was the calling? And I said, we were convinced when we planted this church that God had called us to a different rhythm, that we wanted in our rhythm to disconnect busyness and holiness. That we wanted to believe that because of the work of Christ, that's what made us holy and not by all the awesome things that we were doing. So by taking a day, as it were Sunday, ceasing and celebrating Jesus, we thought as a community we would get in this different rhythm. Families, kids, children, grandmas, and grandpas existing in a different kind of rhythm. And as many of you guys know, time after time, Jeff would attest to this, he was here. People were saying, you're an idiot. This is never going to work. But the wisdom of God is this. When you submit to what God desires and who God is and what God wants, even if at the end of the day all of this would have failed, it would have been better to submit in his name and go through that journey and then God in the end doing whatever he wanted to do to make us more reliant on him. In other words, even if this church would have shut its doors after two years, we were impressed on our hearts to follow God's will, seeking wisdom and the treasure of wisdom from him, not from all of these other you know, people who are supposed to be learned and whatever, right? Even if after two years it was like, shut the door, we would have learned so much through it. And so many of you guys think that just uh, treasure and wisdom only comes in things that make conventional sense. But I'm telling you what, guys, the beauty of the wisdom that comes from God, even in the gospel itself, makes no conventional sense. And that's what makes it beautiful, right? Okay? So uh, I love uh, that text in verse 3. He goes on in verse 4 to add this uh, thought. Uh, So I say this in order that no one, look at this, may delude you with plausible arguments. All right, let's talk about Christmas morning. Okay. My guess is, you like my gold-plated wrapping paper? Spared no expense, okay? Um, On Christmas morning, my guess is, this is like shining in your eye. I'm sorry. It's like... (laughs) It's like gold, incense, and myrrh here, you know? Um, My guess is on Christmas morning, you came down, and maybe once or twice, there was this massive, massively large present, right? And and man, it it was wrapped, and it was way bigger than, you know, things you were expecting. And so your, your mind instantly started reeling, what's in there? And the thought was, it's bigger, so it must be better, Right? You know, you're starting to look at it, and you're like, man, it's, I, I know I asked for a Game Boy, my generation. I know I asked, I know I asked for a Game Boy, um, but maybe, maybe it's 50 Game Boys. Maybe, <laughs> right? 
your mind starts going, maybe mom, maybe mom and dad like won the lottery. Maybe, right? Maybe it's actually Mario that's in there, like a live <laughs> Mario version. And then sometimes, just to teach you a lesson, the biggest present, right? Like, it was like a stack of sweaters. <laughs> right? You, like, open it up, you're so excited, and then it was like, you know, mom had went to grandma's closet and got... <laughs> um, here's Paul's heart. He knows that plausible arguments are going to be wrapped nicely. Uh, let me say it this way. Listen, uh, false doctrines and false statements, Satan wraps those really beautifully. And, and if, if you're, listen, if you're uh, amiss enough to think that Satan's going to be like, hey, let me show you some false doctrine. And it's got a big false doctrine sign on it, right? And you can see it coming down the road, and it's like honking all along the way, right? And it like stops at the, at the false doctrine bus stop, right? And people get on, like, it's going to look like all of this other stuff that you say or think that you believe. Satan is an amazing masker. He's an amazing rapper. Okay. Now, I just want to talk about one of these because Paul is so passionate uh, against this. Uh, let, me, let me just say this. Okay. We use, in our language, uh, the, the phrase, accept Jesus in my heart. I mean, I've used it hundreds, thousands of times. Can I ask you this? Is it biblical? Is it scriptural? Man, it sure sounds nice, right? And I know Billy Graham said it, and so BG said it. 70-30, it's true, right? Accept Jesus in my heart. I started thinking about this. Hey, it's not, it's not in the Bible. I mean, you're not going to find it. You're certainly going to see a connection between what the gospel does and the change of our hearts. You're certainly going to see in the, in the scriptures an understanding of the regeneration that happens in us. But the word, accept Jesus in my heart, doesn't it even in the words, lessen Jesus? Like, doesn't, even, doesn't it even in words place me as the kingdom holder of my heart? Think about it. In our language, are we communicating from an evangelistic standpoint that to live for Jesus is to confess with your mouth and accept Jesus with a warm hug in your heart or bend the knee in submission to the great king who rules, reigns, and is coming back. You see, we've like learned, and some of you are wrestling with this. Some of you are like, I, I don't know about that. Think about it. Hey, accept Jesus in your heart. I'd rather say, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and as Scripture said, you will be saved. And what that means is, I'm not flipping God off anymore. I'm in submission, bending the knee and saying, you are my king, your Lord. You're not just a concept or something I sing about. And yes, you changed my heart. Praise be to God. But it's more like you're accepting me versus me accepting you. It's more like you're saying, I've done the work. Why don't you come on home? Now, there's a whole bunch more. I mean, there's a list of all kinds of false things and doctrines. I just want to bring up one language that we say. Mm, check it with the truth of Scripture. That's why Paul is so passionate about this. He wants these people to walk away with an understanding of true doctrine. And finally, uh, he closed with this in verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. <laughs> Don't you love this? Like, this is biblical now. Have you ever heard someone say, like, I'm with you in spirit, and you always thought, that's weird. 
Have you ever thought that before? Like, hey, I'm with you in spirit, and you're like, that's not biblical. No, it is. Here it is, okay? Paul from a prison cell, I'm with you, man. Like, we're together in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the what? Come on. The firmness, the assurance. In other words, just picture this for a second. In a prison cell, pleading, longing, agonizing, and saying, I am praying that the firmness of your faith, the assurance of your faith is doing such a work in you that the Lord is changing every piece of you and you're coming to this firmness of your faith so that when the false doctrine comes in, you look in the face of every kind of falsity and you say, no, you cannot diminish the gospel. There is no other way. So we'll end with these uh, three really quick things here. The fruit of living assured. Number one, your worries are overshadowed by a supreme longing to glorify God in word and deed. You're not sitting around worrying about the here and now. That's why Jesus said, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. Like, give them to him. The worries go away. Why? Because they're overshadowed with, I'm assured in him. And because I'm assured of him, then my whole life is in submission to who he is. And now really glorifying him in in all things in word and deed starts to make sense. A person who's assured, the worries are a distant overshadowed, a a distant overshadowing by the presence and the glory of God. Secondly, the fruit of living assured is you pray in boldness and expectation. You pray like a son who's been given access to the throne of the Father. Think about your prayers right now. Are you weak saucing it? Are you stepping up short? Are, are you, instead of uh, pleading through the, the person of Jesus, you know, do you feel like you, you're constantly having to appease God before you pray? Listen, if you're regenerate in him, God's given you your spirit, then you are a son and can approach the throne of the Father through the person of Jesus. Those who are assured approach the throne of Christ and of God with confidence. Confidence. Expectation. Thirdly, right? So here's what I want to do. Stand with me. Come here. Come on, stand with me. We still have a journey. We still have a journey tonight. And where I want that journey to begin tonight is we're going to spend some minutes thinking about the love of God. We're going to spend some minutes uh, uh, crying out, singing about the love of God. We're going to share in the powerful truth of the love of God. And so as you're wrestling and mulling all of these things over, and as as we sing about the powerful truth of God's love, I literally just want your heart to sit there for a second and think on these words and ponder these words and wrestle with these words. So God, as we sing this and as we are even wondering if what we're saying is real in our heart, I pray, God, that you would do a tremendous work in us here and now. Come, Lord Jesus, right now and overwhelm us with the reality of your love.